HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. And welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with Adam Stetner of Forge and Found Edibles. And I, I feel like a little bit of a forager, having found you guys, well, <laughs> urban forager, uh, walking around the corner from my house. There were these boxes stacked up outside of Rucola. Um, and I, I don't know why I felt I, I was allowed to do this, but I started opening them up and looking because I'm like, wait, what's found? What's forged? What's in there? I saw some of the most beautiful mushrooms I've seen in the Northeast. And I said, why don't I know about this? And luckily now, we're going to learn all about it. Uh, yeah, ready to share. <laughs> well, first of all, let, let's talk about this company because you are not the founder. You are the East Coast New York rep. Um, let's talk about this man, Jeremy Faber, and why he thinks wild foods could save the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeremy, also known as Yoda, I believe, uh, just has this knack for nature, knack for food. Um, he went to CIA, he studied forestry at UVM, and I think he's always just been made for this. You know, he was cooking for a restaurant, he's cooked a lot of places, but uh, New York, and then he was out in Seattle cooking there, and started foraging for the restaurant, and realized that he needed he needed more of this, and to bring it to more people, so now we're here. It couldn't be a better place, he's... he's actually in the Pacific Northwest right now, because we had emailed him this morning to see if he could call in. And what did he tell us? He's like, I only got 20 more minutes of cell service and then I'm on Mount Rainier for the rest of the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the communication you usually have with Jeremy? Absolutely. I, uh, the brief moments I catch him, he's, uh, you know, maybe he's got a six-hour drive to Northern Oregon, so we can talk for a little bit, but then we'll be on the phone talking, get deep, he'll miss an exit. <laughs> and find himself uh, <laughs> lost in some Northwest Highway. But uh, 
those brief moments I have with him are great, but he is always in the woods, um, you know, getting the product. He always says anything he can pick is, is free for us. So Yeah, and we could talk about mycophilia, you know, uh, mushrooms in general, but it's not limited to that. What, what are wild foods and what are the ones that you carry? Um, so wild food is any food that grows uh, naturally in, in wild in nature. Um, we try to focus on native species. We do sell a few invasives, but promoting the uh, propagation of those is something we try to avoid. Um, so we try to stick to regional things. Uh, we only forage in the, in the, in the North, uh, I'm sorry, in, the, uh, in North America and follow the seasons here in North America. So as things wrap up, you know, transition, right now we're transitioning from fall to winter. So we are going to have a little gap in mushrooms as we wait for the next ones to come up. Um, a little gap in wild lettuce because there's no wild watercress, there's no oxide daisy greens, there's no wood sorrel that grows in the winter. Um, so we'll have to wait for the spring for those things to come back again. But, but there are iterations of those products. Mushrooms can be dried and you can sell them as powders. But even before we go to that... I want to know the difference between what native and invasive is, and not to get political, because that seems like a, a bigger discussion someday, but what are the things that are indigenously here and that you promote, and what are the things that you're trying to take out to, to kind of get rid of? Well, we don't take it upon ourselves to get rid of these things, um, but the things that are here that we do promote um, are specific mushrooms, uh, chanterelles right now, uh, lobster mushrooms right now, specific greens, uh, late summer greens would be uh, oxide daisy greens. Wild watercress is an invasive, so we try not to promote it too much. We do not sell it too often. We only like when available, when it's close to another pick, will we grab some. Um, and, um, you know, any sort of you know, infusers that grow big mossy, uh, you know, licorice fern root or uh, wild ginger rhizomes, which is actually not wild ginger, but uh, <laughs> that is the thing it is most similar in flavor to. Um, things that grew, that have been in North America forever are what we try to promote and what we try to uh, give our people. Let's talk about mushrooms for a little because I was listening to an interview with Jeremy and someone said, well, you got to have mushroom eyes. And it was all about having the ability to notice, you know, that, that there is this bounty in the forest um, and knowing which is the good stuff and which is the bad stuff. Do you find yourself being someone who possesses mushroom eyes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also something that does develop. Um, I find whenever I'm hiking, if I am decide I'm looking for mushrooms that day, you start looking down... You should be looking down when you're hiking or else you're going to trip usually, <laughs> especially in the Northeast. Forager lesson number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you start spotting mushrooms, you know, you spot one here, one there, and then it seems like there's just a million of them because there are, but you really have to be looking for them and you have to get used to looking for them. Little, little specks of color will catch your eye and you'll stare closer and then, you know, follow it, follow that color, you know, and, and you'll have like a memory of it and you'll be cruising through the woods and boom, you'll spot it. Boom. Jeremy can spot things on the highway going 75 miles an hour. Uh, luckily he doesn't slam on the brakes too often, but. 
but these <laughs> mushrooms, I, I know there's some kind of something, the symbiosis with mushrooms and Douglas firs. Um, you know, there, there are certain trees, and like you said, there are certain areas that these mushrooms and you know, forage materials return to. What, why is that? Well, yes, certain mushrooms, well, mushrooms themselves grow underground. The mycelium is below the ground, so its relationship, its, its growth is often based on what root structure, um, you know, and tree of the plants and animals in that environment are. So, you know, you brought up furs. Um, that is, uh, you know, certain kinds of mushrooms like furs, certain kind of mushrooms like big old oaks. You know, right now everyone, well, a couple of weeks ago, everyone was finding hen of the woods everywhere on the East Coast on the base of big old oak trees. And those things will pop up for years and years on the same tree. Um, an issue actually with that, with that symbiotic relationship that mushrooms, that mycelium have with the forest on the East Coast specifically, is we've been cutting down trees here for centuries on the East Coast. And the way they've been replanted isn't always for more timber. So they've become, the forests here have become a lot more diverse than they are on the West Coast, which doesn't allow for as much propagation of the mycelium below the ground. It kind of, you can't go from fur to fur to fur to fur and extend and have this massive huh. plant. I, I know, I think the largest living organism in the world is in the Pacific Northwest, and it is a mushroom. Yeah. And yeah. it is because there is a consistent root system there as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is this is one of those odd times where we're talking about, you know, promoting diversity not being a good thing. In a way, in a way, I mean forests themselves have a a certain way that they grow that promotes uh specific lacks of diversity for for lack of a choice of, of better words but um the the older forests out there i guess have have fostered these uh these uh plants you have mushrooms like lobster which you mentioned before uh honey fried chicken do they actually taste like those uh, um gnomers Lobster absolutely does. <laughs> it is crazy. Yeah. It has this aroma of the sea. Um, and then if you don't cook it too hard, which is not everyone does, but if you cook it lightly enough, it, it will taste like that. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. But that's not to say hedgehog and bear's head tooth taste like hedgehogs and bear's head teeth. Correct. Okay. Correct. <laughs> and I don't want to talk just about mushrooms, even though we're kind of rolling into winter season where... There are truffles available. Um, there's so much more that you guys do from, you know, greens and berries, medicinals and ornaments or ornamentals. Can, can you explain those different product lines and, and maybe what seasons those fall in as well? So whatever's available in whichever season, we're looking for everything. So right off the bat, let's get that clear. Um, the winter is limiting where it is only mushrooms. It's a bit of a harsher climate. So getting things that are... Um, you know, something like a, a microgreen or a, you know, uh, or another vegetable just won't really stand up to such cold weather. But, you know, come springtime, we have, you know, fiddlehead ferns, you know, baby ferns, which you, you know, taste a lot like asparagus or ramps or um, a lot of greens like wood sorrel and miner's lettuce and... Um, other types of purslane, 
So, and then we got a lot of infusers in the spring as well. That's when the spring is kind of the most alive time for diversity. Uh, licorice fern root, wild ginger root. Um, what are some other good ones in that time? Uh, we do some edible flowers, black locust tree. Um, and then in the, and then pine buds and spruce tips, anything that's sort of, when we're out there, especially on the East Coast, where you can't get 100 pounds of mushrooms a day, you're trying to look everywhere. You're trying to pick a little sheep sorrel. Like uh, late summer, we were picking sheep sorrel in the same place we were picking autumn olive berries in the same place we found chicken of the woods and hen of the woods mushrooms all were together. And, and then you make a salad out of all that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, grows together, goes together. And on that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Adam Stetner of Forge and Found Edibles. Do you have to forge before you find? Is that why that think, sentence is structured as such? Um, <laughs> I think sometimes you're out foraging, yeah, but sometimes you're just uh, going to your buddy's house and you find something. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> one one is intentional, the other one is is a fact. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, of all these amazing things that you forage and all these uh, kind of um, you know, products that we've mentioned, we haven't really talked about what to do with them. And there are some wonderful recipes on your website uh, by Christina Choi, black trumpet tacos with pickled cabbage, braised chicken with morels and earthy spices, Yellowfoot chanterelles and squash soup with coconut and lemongrass. And I, I love the idea of a lobster mushroom and potato gratin. Um, but you're selling these to chefs and restaurants. What amazes you when you, you take this thing out of the wild and give it to them and, and see them put it into their restaurant's context? What, what are the dishes? What are the recipes? Well, we take such pride in this food. Um, you know, the foraged food, it's a lot of work to get. And we really appreciate that and want our chefs to reflect that when they're selling it. Um, so, you know, the cleanest way they can do it, the simplest way we can do it is always what we love. The first meal I had that was just blew my mind with wild food I had in uh, I actually had in Seattle and it was a morel toast 
and it's a classic dish to make with morels and morel toast and it just it was just you know a, a, sh- a dry sherry cream sauce and a poached egg on this beautiful bread that grilled bread and the morels were just like it was just morels you were really tasting them and and it was impressive it really was it's it's flavors that not a lot of people have had and not a lot of people know about i always whenever i'm selling stuff to a restaurant i'm always a little i'm always wondering what they're doing are they doing like a wild mushroom mix or something that isn't really does it just say mushrooms on their menu like how are they featuring them uh reynard uh the the new chef over there christina uh getting her last name right now but she was at the breslin for a long time one of april bloomfield's restaurants and one of our great customers and reynard's always been a great customer but she came in and she really knows how to make these products shine and they've had this lobster mushroom dish on their menu for the fall or for late spring into fall here that's just unless it's a super like over one pound mushroom they're roasting these mushrooms whole and just to the point where they're, you know, cut cuttable with a fork and not overdone. And it's one of the coolest dishes I've seen. Just a whole roasted mushroom sitting in uh, herbs. I don't want to disgrace the dish. I don't know exactly <laughs> what it's sitting in. But uh, I know it's with a bunch of greens. And it's just, it's just the mushroom. It's so yeah. special. Well, I mean, I also think it's interesting. From your standpoint, you were telling me that you're like one of two people in the company that doesn't have a culinary background. But you obviously have an appreciation for Absolutely. wild foods yeah. and what people do with wild foods. Um, when did that start? Um, that started. Hmm. I got. Uh, I had some health issues with uh, my kidneys when I was in high school, and it put me on a really strict diet: uh, low salt, low protein, low potassium, which basically means you can't eat processed food. So, um, what was in my food really started to matter, and. Figuring that out just led to me wanting to to grow it, wanting to butcher it, get it from the farm, wanted to find it in the woods so I could have the cleanest food that still tasted good. I, w- I didn't have salt anymore in my life. I didn't have a lot of these preservatives anymore in my life I wanted to taste. So I started trying to figure out where it all comes from, what it all does. And um, wild food is just so special right on its own. The aroma, the textures, the flavors. So... That's kind of what got me got me really into it, and and then you go forage and you spend a whole day and you get you know six mushrooms and you start to appreciate them because <laughs> it's it's a lot of work for those six mushrooms sometimes. But you're talking about this ilk of restaurant, you know, April Bloomfield being one of your first customers, and you're in Danielle and you know Andrew Carmelini's Estella Group and and so many more. The fact that these chefs have to show so much restraint to highlight, you know, like you said, something that's already so full of itself. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, it, it, it exudes its essence. Um, is that cooking or is it just presenting? Or does it take such a, like, such a skilled hand to be able to showcase your products? They're really good. Like, these mushrooms, if you cooked a mushroom one of our mushrooms the way you would cook a button mushroom it would taste better because they're really good so if all else fails it's gonna be good but chefs i've found when i'm talking about this kind of stuff none of my friends really know about it but chefs 
they all know about it. They really love it. They really geek out about it. They're like the people I can talk to about it. And the places I found that really do appreciate our product do make it shine. You know, a restaurant like Danielle where everything is so special, everything is cared for, they're, they're really making their ingredients do special things there. You know, a, a restaurant like Achilles Heel where his menu usually has like six things on it for the night and he's used every piece of a certain, you know, every piece of the chicken to make all of them. Um, they, they appreciate these, these, these flavors and they make them shine. Really, like the, the, I think it's like a chanterelle soup with corn at the Spotted Pig. I forget how they do it. It's so good. And it tastes like chanterelles. Yeah, and you were t- telling me right before the episode, and I thought this is timely and very special to mention, is, you know, you find these mushrooms at the end of humanity. You find these mushrooms after something's come through and destroyed a forest, like the wildfires in Napa and Sonoma. So they're regenerative, but they're also... Th- this kind of mark for, you know, if if you care about something, if you treat something well, if you look for it, it it's going to come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the the empty lots in Brooklyn are full of edible weeds. Uh, not that I would eat too many of them, but they're a lot of times what's pulling the bad things out of the ground. And they're they are the things that are cleansing the environment. And, um, you know, mushrooms are known. That's what they do. They, uh, you know, you, a lot of morbid images always have mushrooms in them. And, and they're known for, uh, for being regenerative, for being that sign of the next life, the next step. Yeah. So the East Coast versus Pacific Northwest, because, you know, I'm picturing this lush forest where Jeremy is right now, you know, at the base or wherever on Mount Rainier, um, what are you finding here, and what, what are chefs urging you to look for? So chefs want, I mean, all the mushrooms that I'm selling do grow out here, um, and chefs want them, but here they, they mostly, the people that want East Coast things um, just want something special and tasty. And um, right now, we're seeing a lot of sumac. Uh, well, we're sort of at the end of the the summer season and uh end of the i guess i could say end of the fall season even it's been a very strange fall um so we're at the end a lot of this stuff but i was picking um sumac and sweet fern which is uh something we make into a tea and dry it out and make it into a tea uh sheep sorrel which is a late summer green um the autumn olive berries uh shag bark hickory nuts uh, other types of all the tree nuts are starting to come down. They take a lot of that we haven't offered any for sale yet, but because uh, we have to uh, cure them and process them a little bit. But walnuts and other things like that, we're gonna have. Um, chefs in New York aren't so crazy about local. I think they understand that the global economy, this type of city, there's a lot of people from everywhere. So I don't think people are so demanding with that. They just want to know that their stuff is processed and done ethically and morally and with the least carbon footprint that it can be, um, which is what we strive to do. Well, open up that box you have next to me, and how would you present that to a chef? I mean, say you walked into a kitchen like Danielle, and I know they're gorgeous mushrooms, and 
you know, there's quite an array of things here, but what would set this apart uh, visually, you know, flavor-wise? So there's probably kind of like overstuffed this because I wanted to show you a few extra <laughs> things, but the chefs know. They know these products, especially at a place like Danielle. Um, you know, anywhere where there's a trained chef, we went in the back, if we go to the kitchen right now around Roberta's or Blanca, they're going to know everything in here. And I try to read them. If they're, they go in right for them, I'll just hand them the price list and they can just look at our prices and sort of figure it out for themselves. Um, otherwise, I start breaking them down, showing them, you know, trying to represent all the wild stuff. You know, this is what we do. That's, that's our main thing. I do have a lot of organic cultivated mushrooms that we sell. Um, but I just try to let them enjoy them because like i was saying earlier chefs really are mushroom geeks i've found for the most part they all think they're freaking amazing yeah <laughs> yeah but at the same time you don't want them all foraging because again it's almost like it's at this tipping point i feel like there are so many people interested in foraging when is too much foraging too much that's a good question um there's a lot of issues around something like ramps which is getting to become known as a almost a commodity product um, which it's not. It's a it's a rare wild onion, and people need to treat it that way. <laughs> um, so there is sort of like uh, there can be an issue when people think these things are so easy to get. Like I have a lot of restaurants that ask for button chanterelle. They want uniform specific wild food. Those things don't really it's a little antithetical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I pick through and I'll get them that thing. I'll get them, you know, buttons if, if, it, if, if I can, if I have a nice enough shipment that I can pick that stuff out. But wild food is wild. And as a chef, you have to be able to react and work with it in, its, in whatever form it is. What am I holding right now? You're holding some shag bark hickory nuts. And what are these? Uh, they are nuts that come off a big old tree and inside it looks like uh, a walnut essentially you got to crack them and they are some of the tastiest nuts i've ever had actually they're really good i mean you, you don't sit out there on the street with a box open and people walk up to you like what is this you go to specific yeah vendors but i mean at the same time i, I think i'm decently knowledgeable at stuff and i had no clue what this is are you <laughs> are you surprised to find um a chef or a restaurant not knowing what some of your products are uh, not always, not always. Um, they'll have a few things on the menu and maybe I'll need to, to teach them a little bit. And like something like you're holding in your hand, the Oxide Daisy Greens, I'm not selling that well because people see the name and they're just like, what is this? So I do a lot of educating. I'm always trying to share information. We And our like weekly email that we do always has you know, information about the product, what's going on in the woods, trying to teach people, trying to let them know, um, you know, what what's coming up, why you should get it, that it's really special. You know, something like, people say chanterelle when they order from me all the time. There's a white chanterelle, there's a gold chanterelle. There's also a lot of diversity within gold chanterelles. Um, but the white chanterelle, we think, has a lot more flavor. Not a lot, but it has more flavor, it has a more wild flavor. And people don't really get it as much because they're not used to it. They're not used to seeing it. They don't, they don't know what it is, so they don't order as much. So I'm always trying, I'm always happy 
you know, the next year when someone caught something at the end and they remember it for the next year and they're like, I got to do a lot of that next time. So, you know, like we had, uh, we had um, green walnuts, uh, unripe walnuts. And funny you bring up rucola. <laughs> Patrick, uh, the chef there, is uh, starting to make some spirits. And he bought some from us last year, right at the end of the season. And he realized he, you know, wanted to make Nocino, wanted to make a bunch of it. And this year he was hitting us up every week <laughs> until, <laughs> until they were available. And then I got him almost you know, more than I brought to anybody else in the city. So. Well, I know where I'm going to be spending my fall and winter then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and for everybody else, go to foragedandfoundedibles.com and educate yourself about what wild foods are out there because as, as Jeremy and Adam believe, it, they could quite possibly save the world. So thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. I want to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big thank you to Hearst. Music by Cookies and David Tattashore Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're hosts. 